Hello, iGaming Intelligentsia. Before we start today's podcast, here is a message from our sponsors. The iGaming Next podcast is made possible with the support from our sponsors at Pragmatic Solutions, leaders in intelligent platform technology. I've been working with Ashley, Lewis and the guys over at Pragmatic Solutions over the last year. And as the early supporter of this podcast, I cannot recommend them enough. The Pragmatic Solutions Player Account Management Platform is an incredibly powerful technology stack for today's gaming business. Their modern modular platform provides all the core services to power your business and their SaaS licensing model allows you to reduce cost and accelerate your strategic goals. Enterprise technology with decades of operational know-how at scale built in. Upgrade your business to the Pragmatic Solutions PAM platform. Visit www.pragmatic.solutions to arrange a platform demo. This podcast is brought to you by Hub88, a lightweight integration platform built on Exilir, offering seamless wallet API for casino operations. It currently interacts with over 50 providers and 2,000 plus games, giving access to many tier one suppliers while also supporting new studios, distribution, and key components such as game engines, provably fair RNGs, RGs, and investments into new startups. To find out more, visit hub88.io. Future trends, deep insights, industry leaders. This is the iGaming Next podcast with your host, Michael Peterson. Good afternoon, everyone, or good morning or good evening, wherever you are and what you're doing. Um, it is a fantastic day today because it is the very first iGaming Next marketing uh, session and podcast. Um, and uh, you're listening to this uh, as part of the Bright Future online event and also on the uh, podcast series uh, everywhere you listen to podcasts. Today, I am so excited because we have, uh, yeah, I don't know how to describe you, Chris. I almost sort of feel like saying the the, the OG of Google. Is that is that a fair description? Sort of like the, the original gangster of Google. Is, is that fair? I mean, that, that's one way. That's one way. I don't think I quite qualify for industry vet status just yet, but I've been around for a while. Yeah, for sure. So let, let's talk about uh, let's talk about your your background a little bit, Chris. Let's start back in the days. Where, where did you where did you grow up? Where where are you from? Uh, so I'm from the north of England, um, a lovely little town called Stockport, um, which is uh, just in in Greater Manchester. Um, okay. So uh, yeah, grew up there. Um, small family. Lots of friends uh, wanted to escape as quickly as possible, uh, and that was pretty much what started me on my journey down to London through university and, and various roles, and, and ended up eventually at Google. Okay, so how long have you been in London now? Then, so London, I think sixteen years, sixteen seventeen years, via a couple of stops elsewhere as part of my ventures through. Through the gambling industry, yeah. Um, started off, took a graduate role um, at Betfair, yeah. When 2005, 2005, 2006, uh, I remember at the time actually, um, I got I, I, I got an email from both Microsoft and Betfair on on the same day to say, "Woohoo, you know, you've been accepted into the graduate program for both." And I remember having a conversation with my parents at the time. Wow. Um, both of them, both of them being super chuffed that I joined Microsoft. 
um, going off and telling all of their, their friends and family that Chris is now working for Microsoft, only to disappoint them mere minutes later by letting them know that I'd actually, in fact, turn the Microsoft offer down and I'd be, I'd be going to Betfair. They, they weren't aware of the countless hours spent in the university library um, <laughs> on, on, the, on the exchange or, or playing poker. This was pre, I mean, God, what, 2001, 2002. This is before, clearly, you know, Wi-Fi was a thing in university dorms. We yeah. didn't have the internet. We didn't actually have the internet in, in in the university dorms that I was in. So if you wanted to use or get online, you had to go into into the library. So the the twenty four hour binges playing poker were very much done through the guise of working really hard in in the library. Uh, but that very much set me up for um, a move into the industry and a, and a grad role. I think it was actually the first graduate intake um, at Betfair, as I said, two thousand five. Yeah. Wow. So you're a poker player. During during university as well, or uh, yeah, a bad one, a pretty bad one. Um, I, I did okay. Yeah, I did okay. I think I used to um, I used to focus specifically on the hours in which both the East Coast and West Coast of the US would be coming in from drinking sessions. That was very much the <laughs> the hour or two. Yeah, that was the, that, they were the prime hours. That was the hour or two of capitalization whereby you get yourself to a point where you think there should be some relatively easy money and and we didn't need a lot to survive on it to survive on at uni and i worked a little bit before going to university and with the cash roll that was on offer from that student loan check that came yeah. in um i was somewhat somewhat a kid in a candy shop um and i was in a, i was in a reasonable place and sports betting and whatever else would would go on in the background so that fair you could say was uh, was a perfect fit for me yeah for sure and then you spend about six years with betfair Yes, yes. So started off, as I said, in the graduate program and there did a whole bunch of, of weird and wonderful things. My, I think my first job was um, creating emails, CRM emails using Dreamweaver, okay. um, which was which was fun. Yeah, I'd played around with affiliate sites again whilst I was at uni, so I was somewhat familiar with Dreamweaver, but that was three months of hard labor mm -hmm. uh, playing around within within that within Dreamweaver software. And then I started to, then I shifted to be an analyst for probably six months, comparing RTPs on slot games and whatever else, and then looking at liquidity on, <clears throat> on whatever comp whatever competition existed to Betfair at the time, mostly BetDAC, WBX, I'm not sure WBX even exists anymore, um, and a bunch of others, um, just in terms to get a feeling for you know, what Betfair, Betfair stood from a liquidity point of view, volume yeah. and, and prices and, and whatever else. And then I had a good had a stint in the poker team, yeah. you know, which was which, which was great for me. Um, I was actually part of the uh, the event team for the World Series of Poker Europe, mm -hmm. um, the, the Annette Oberstad year. Wow. Um, and I remember my, my first job as part of, um, as part of that role was to supervise um, a um, a bunch of dancers as we tried to recreate the Vegas theme at our Stevenage call center. <laughs> so we, we, yeah, well, we had a, we had a white stretch limo, picked them up from Hammersmith, or picked, picked me up from Hammersmith. We collected 10 dancers, drove to Stevenage, paraded through the call center. To, I, I don't know why. Um, I was, I don't know, 21, 22 at the time. I didn't care. I was supervising 10 dancers. Yeah. And then we drove back to um, Oxford Circus, to the Empire Casino, uh, they set up outside the Empire Casino whilst the World Series of Poker Europe was happening inside, and that wow. was, yeah, that was 
a day in the life of a of a Betfair grad. Well, I was going to say that's quite a, a graduate program they have they have running there. <laughs> I think it's gone drastically downhill since. You know? <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> it, it, it turns out when a company's private, you can pretty much get away with anything, and then yeah. Yeah. I think once the IPO happened, it was uh, it was it was steadily downhill. I think the grads actually have proper jobs there now. Yeah, probably probably, probably a good thing for a lot of them, but I'm not quite sure that would work that well for me. <laughs> for sure. And then you spent six years, finished off as head of UK acquisition. Is that correct? Yeah. So I, as part of the, as part of the graduate scheme, obviously you you rotate around a lot and, and, and try a bunch of different things. Um, I did a couple of stints in in the marketing teams you know, as part of. Uh, you know, the CRM team with Dreamweaver, but also spent a bit of time in Malta um, with the casino team, mm-hmm. uh, working on their go-to-market strategy as we were launching uh, launching the product. And as part of that, I got really into uh, just the general specifics of online marketing. At that time, it was more so affiliates and, and display activity. Google search wasn't open, yeah. wasn't open back then. Um, so elements of SEO and whatever else. And because I'd done some affiliate work myself, I had... You know, a little bit of an understanding as to what was involved. Got really into that. Came back, found a job within um, within the central services team at uh, mm-hmm. Fair, and then steadily progressed through that. I was really fortunate in that I think two or three line managers left within a three to six month period, and I just so happened to um, be the tallest person in the room. So <laughs> I got I, I got picked on every single time to to step up and and very quickly found myself leading a fairly significant team and managing a fairly chunky budget um, as we were trying to mass market the betting exchange amongst yeah. a bunch, bunch, bunch of other products. And it's something that I, well, I've got the war stories today that I can lean on when when working with operators who, yeah. are trying to, who are trying to promote a sports book. And I'm trying to explain to them that it's relatively easy trying to promote a sports book versus trying to create a conversion funnel for a betting exchange that, yeah. essentially, that essentially screams pink and blue flashing numbers the moment you you land on site and for anyone wanting to place a pretty simple accumulator, it's a pretty horrible experience. Yeah. Um, so, so trying to drive a competitive CPA with volumes that could grow the better fair business, as you can see now, they've flipped quite heavily to being sports book first. Yeah. Um, yeah. They were, there were some tough times, but all equally uh, at the same time, you know, being thrown at the deep end always makes it a little bit more interesting. The learning curve is fairly more significant. Um, and it certainly put me in a good place today. Um, but yeah, then ultimately kind of growing through that, uh, to lead the team, mm-hmm. um, and then and then Google came calling. Uh, a chap called Finton Costello. I'm not mm-hmm. sure if you've ever if you've ever booked into Finton. Yeah, um, I knew Finton quite well uh, just through uh, just through the industry. And he was building out a team at the time, and and basically uh, took me out drinking, um, <laughs> and, and, and which is which is typically what he does. Um, and essentially <laughs> said, "Look, we've got a, we've got a, a, an opportunity uh, if you fancy it." You have to obviously survive the interviews, but if you can get through, I think we can do some interesting things. As Google's trying to expand its gambling team, yeah, um, I think he moved on eighteen months later. I've hung around since, and we've grown the team into into bigger and better things. Um, I now look after CFDs and Forex. Uh, we did look after ticketing and a bunch of other performance type channels, mm-hmm. um, but main responsibility remains remains looking after the gambling industry. Okay, so Finton is the OG actually of Google then for for gambling. Finton's the OG. If if you were to talk to Finton, he might well say a chap called James Cashmore. But yeah, no, okay. Finton, certainly. Okay. certainly. The, the, the name Finton Costello certainly still resonates around around oh, Google Towers. And now nine years and and a bit with with Google. Um, and as you mentioned, head you know covering a number of, of of different verticals, but but gambling probably being being the the, 
the largest, if I understand you correctly, or, or the one you, you spent where you spent the most time? Is that correct? Understood? Or? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the forex and safety industry is, is significant and, and yeah. vast in itself. Um, but gambling takes up takes up more of my time, certainly with what's been happening from a global perspective. Um, but it's, it, it, the job has very much changed. You know, in those, those, those eight or nine years, you know, when I first came in, it was very much helping companies understand search. Yeah. It was understanding search. There was an element of double click. You know, as, yeah. that per- as that purchase went through, mm-hmm. an element of the GDN, but it was mm-hmm. mostly search, and we were yeah. helping, we were helping operators and, and you know, and some affiliates to take, to take advantage of the product set that we had and any changes to the product, helping to educate and helping to understand how they could hit their objectives. Yeah. Uh, but you know, the advent of four G smartphones, cloud computing, mm-hmm. Netflix, over the top content consumption changes, a whole bunch of things has now meant that, you know, my world, while search is still a reasonable chunk of it mm-hmm. um, is now also dominated by video and YouTube, yeah. Google mar- Google marketing platform and the programmatic pipes, apps, Google Play, cloud. Yeah. You know what does what does that mean? Um, so there's more of a convergence of several products um, that take up mine and, and and the team's time, and it's obviously a complicated complicated the role. And 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 if we find it tough. You know, to understand the product set, God knows how, you know, how our users and customers deal with that. So it's yeah. very much our responsibility to help to normalize all the complicated things that are going on at Google. And, you know, when the job's going well, you know, we're partnering with the largest operators. We're helping to build long-term plans. We're helping to hit company targets using Google products. You know, when it's not going so well, it's usually policy-related. Yeah. So when someone's usually on the phone to me. Asking Google why. policy bunker somewhere. <laughs> yeah, and, and asking why said country isn't open or yeah. what, are our pl- what are our plans to open up in said country or why yeah. certain products doesn't allow for X, but it does allow for Y and what does yeah. that mean? So we spend a little bit of time, uh, a little bit of time trying to act as a go-between uh, from our legal trust and safety and policy teams to the user teams. Because ultimately, you know, simply put, my role is to be a voice for the industry Yeah, Google. Yeah. To help champ, to help champion the industry, and to help create positive change. Yeah. we've done that in a bunch. We've done that in a bunch of ways, but um, that's predominantly what I'm being tasked with. For sure. So you have a very unique uh, perspective. So you've been a poker player, uh, so a player yourself. You were six six years with, with Betfair on the on the operator side of things, and now nine years with Google. But so let's let's try a, a fun exercise. So if you take the nine years at Google, and you had to sort of look back over the nine years and I'll give you like one minute to take us like from nine years back till now, sort of the key milestones or some of the things that really sort of spring out in your mind, uh, the biggest steps uh, of the Google journey, if you will, or product launches or, or changes to, to the landscape, whatever happened. What, what would you, how would you describe the last nine, nine years in one minute? Wow. In one minute. <laughs> um, God, so, well, so much has happened. That makes that quite, quite complicated. So I think, Double click and everything that went on with double click was was huge. I think yeah. enterprise search bidding products and all of that change was mm-hmm. great in terms of just what was capable. Um, video has perhaps been the biggest thing. Um, it was certainly something that we loosely talked about when I first started, and as I said yeah. before, it, it makes up a significant chunk mm-hmm. of what I of what I do now. Hosting live games on on YouTube, allowing gambling advertisers to position themselves against those live games. Obviously yeah. there's been some regulatory changes with what we can do there. Yeah. And that's all been that's all been super exciting. I could get quite geeky and talk yeah. to, you know, when we when we shifted how AdWords works with enhanced campaigns, which went down 
we didn't go down great. Um, and trying to mitigate and manage that situation was a fun one. Uh, what we've done with AdMob and bringing that in, what's that meant on the app side as well, has been has been really interesting. And then just automation and machine learning yeah. and yeah. everything that that now means. Yeah. Again, you know, if I was to say video dominates a lot of what I talk about, yeah. machine learning and automation probably makes up the rest of it. It's predominant across every single thing that we do. Um, you know, it's it, it's go to from a product point of view, and again, that dominates. Then we've got some policy wins along the way. Along the way, you know, yeah. recently we we managed to open the Play Store in in fifteen more countries, uh, yeah. which, is, which is clearly a good thing. Mm-hmm. We've managed to do some positives around category opt out, whereby users can now opt out of receiving ads for for gambling and alcohol. You know, a huge yeah. win for us, a huge win for us, and helps us position the products as as being you know as being something that that's sustainable. You know, mm-hmm. for this in, for this industry, and we have a bunch of protections that are that are built into that. So, yeah, quick whistle stop tour. I'm not sure if that was a minute. Yeah, yeah, no, that's fantastic. How, how about I was just thinking the move from desktop to mobile over nine years. Was that still was that already sort of still quite big? The mobile side, or, or uh, change there, or well, yeah, yeah, clearly significant change. But I've always felt that the gambling industry was probably two, three, four years ahead. Yeah, of everybody else within that space. You know, yeah. I, it, it very naturally fell into the mobile space. And whilst that started however many years ago with WAP or, or whatever else, mm-hmm. I always felt in working with the operators, there was a, never a need for me to go in and educate on the role of mobile yeah. or have to go in and tell them how big mobile was going to be. They all kind of got it. And that was very different to retail, very yeah. different to travel, where yeah. it always felt like a constant battle. It felt yeah. that you were constantly up against it in terms of trying. Still to talking mobile, probably. Yeah. Industries, <laughs> still, still, yeah. and, and and you'll often get the you'll, you'll always get the throwaway brief where they'll want to talk about they haven't quite managed to understand mobile yet, but they want to talk about augmented reality. Yeah, yeah. That's always the interesting with some of those industries. I always thought the gambling industry just got it, and they were just hoping that we would move along at a pace that would allow yeah. them to remain uh, to remain competitive. So that was always 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 a good thing, certainly for this industry. Okay. Fantastic. Well, thanks for that, Chris. So just before we jump into sort of the the specific topics um, and questions, just sort of to so, sort of set the stage a bit. Um, so I was reading up on eMarketer, um, a few references. So if we look at 2020, uh, on a very global wide sense, there was an increase in media consumption uh, and advertising, most probably as, as people were staying home and, and lockdowns and what have you. Uh, but a, but a decrease in advertising spend overall. So there was a you know, 1% decline in global ad spend, uh, but there was a 13% increase in digital ad spend. So definitely a, a move over to, to digital. Um, and then they were sort of forecasting into 21, and, um, and they were mentioning that uh, 55% um, – sorry, so 2021 will see 55% digital ad spend on display channels – and 40% on search. So what they were saying was, if you compare that to sort of three years ago, the gap between display and and, and search, and I guess display, they, they sort of bucket everything in, in, in <laughs> everything that's not search, effectively, they put it to, to one bucket. Um, that that gap is, is is widening, effectively, moving from 10 to, to 15%, so more spend flowing into to the display, display bucket. So if we just look at the sort of the global uh, trends, the shift towards digital, um, and sort of the, these two buckets, display versus search. Uh, are you seeing some of the same sort of trends uh, where you're sitting, Chris? What's, what's your view on the year that has passed and, and, and the year we're, we're going through at the minute? Yeah, look, it's, it's, it's a nice place to start. If 
you know, if you were to look at the the market cap of of a Google or an Alphabet or a Facebook or a Twitter you know, or, or Amazon, albeit it's difficult to carve out its its media its media division, you know, coming out of the pandemic, they're all considerably up year on year. And given the size and scale of those businesses, that's that's no mean feat. And if you if you were to listen to uh, the Microsoft CEO, he'll talk to two years worth of digital transformation in two months. I think McKinsey coins it as 10 years worth in three months, certainly from a US e-commerce penetration point of view. I think, the, the, I think my favorite kind of throwaway line is that it, uh, as to how it's been coined is the quickening and the great acceleration. Mm-hmm. And simply put, more people are online. I mean, we can confuse it as much as we want to, but, but more people are online. And mm-hmm. Many of our old habits have changed, and in some cases, permanently. You know, yeah, it's, it, it's been it's helped us to break a bunch of old habit loops, and and of uh, of the numbers that we're seeing, you know, a considerable percentage are new online users. You know, if I was to look at if I was to look at my gran up there in in Stockport in the northwest, she's probably now got five um, five retail apps on her yeah. phone from having none previously and she prefers to do the friday big shop um, and have that delivered to her as yeah. opposed to going out so that's net new business yeah that's net, that's net new eyeballs mm-hmm. and i mean it, it, it still doesn't prevent the horrible process that is returning something that's mm-hmm. been delivered online but that's yeah. just a beast that i think we're all going to have to live with for for the rest of our lives yeah um but what that's meant is that ad dollars will simply follow the users and so when you think about the growth of digital, so if you think about marketing in general, advertising in general has taken a little bit of a hit, um, which was always typically going to be the case coming out of a pandemic as, as, as budgets were looked at. Digital has mm-hmm. actually done quite well. Digital has actually done quite well, simply because the eyeballs have flowed mm-hmm. more to digital. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's some cuts of that data. You know, If you look at the travel industry, in general, down for, yeah. very, for very obvious reasons. Yeah. Whereas retail... And e-commerce massively up again for for obvious reasons. Um, and gambling has done pretty well. You know, it's been mm-hmm. uh, certainly from the uh, certainly from the digital side. And again, we can cut it by by the various industries. But from the digital side, um, there's been on the sports betting side, you know, a perfect storm if you will, once yeah. event, once events kicked back on. Yeah. And, and and for the casino, bingo and poker industries, you know, poker in itself, you know, was up whatever, yeah. you know, whatever that was, 250% or whatever. Yeah. So so in general, you know, digital marketing, you know, has come out of this in a positive way. Mm-hmm. Uh, video perhaps being, I think video is perhaps the single best example. And... And by that, I mean, if you think about consumer behavior, I myself, Mm -hmm. as someone who works for YouTube, had never heard of Joe Wicks before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Now, I've probably done X amount of HIIT exercise classes. I don't even know what a HIIT exercise class was (laughs) pre-pandemic. But I've probably done X amount of HIIT exercise classes through YouTube, through my TV. Yeah. Than I'd, than I'd ever done before. And when we think about, you know, you mentioned content consumption habits, that's been perhaps one of the biggest changes that has helped to facilitate and accelerate advertising dollars coming online because eyeballs are now watching online video far mm-hmm. more than they, than, than, than they ever were before. 
mm-hmm. and 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 that's been huge. And us sitting with um, us sitting with YouTube, you know, the yeah. largest um, probably the largest commercial uh, online video platform in the world has been you know has, has been has been great for us. But that's typically what has seen that drive, and that's why you know from a digital point of view. Uh, you know, advertising spend has gone up, whereas in general, yeah. you know, it's not quite it's not quite the same. And, and let's pick up our, our, our crystal ball a bit. So, what's going to happen now when uh, countries open up and uh, and and we go back to normal or new normal or whatever we, we call it? What, what do you think is going to happen to those consumption happens and, and and the video consumption and, and in general? Is it is it we're gonna are we gonna find a, a new but much higher level? Are we are we going back to where we were? Uh, you know, are we gonna stay where we are now? Like, what's your what's your I best guess? Se- yeah, I certainly don't think we'll go back to where we were. Hmm. I think I, I I hate to say this, um, but we are. There is a new normal. Yeah, uh, and and I think we're all somewhat comfortable with with that new normal, yeah. albeit in different parts of the world. You know, yeah. we, we we would often talk to the future being here. It's just not evenly distributed. Yeah. And I was I was on a call with some of our colleagues in in Dublin earlier today, you know, and they're still thinking through uh, what what coming out of lockdown looks like. Mm-hmm. Whereas for myself, sat here in London, mm-hmm. you know, we've been out of lockdown for you know best part of best part of two months. Yeah. And. You know, we're already starting to enjoy some of the freedoms that we took for granted, mm-hmm. took for granted previously. Yeah. But I certainly am living with some new, some new normals, and we see that in the search behavior mm-hmm. uh, uh, that we see through users, and that's that, yeah. that's arguably one of the biggest arbiters, or what certainly one of the biggest research units that that we can call upon to understand what that new normal could be. Yeah, you know, your grand is going to continue shopping on Fridays online. Oh, yeah, oh, big time. Yeah, and I can't see her ever going to a uh, can't see her ever going to a shop again. Just good. Exactly. She'll she'll fundamentally get lazier. Um, and, and whoever has been ordering food online much to a much greater extent will, will not just suddenly stop and 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 purely go to restaurants, right? So that the online side of, of of food delivery will most likely also remain, right? Oh yeah, completely, completely. Yeah. And yeah. and and we we see it within this industry as well. You know, April's a difficult a difficult month to look at given where we were. Uh, with the lockdown and the cancellation mm-hmm. of events. Mm-hmm. Uh, but sports betting queries in April were up 300% year yeah. year. Yeah. Um, whereas uh, for, for, for April, from a poker point of view, it was down 65% mm-hmm. year on year. But again, previously in, yeah. April, in, in April 2020, poker was up 220%. Yeah. Um, so we're seeing it a little bit in gambling in, in terms of, uh, you know how users are querying and looking for information and whatever else. But in general, no, I think we'll have some kind of hybrid future whereby people are just far more comfortable yeah. uh, utilizing online propositions. Those that were already digitally native and those that were already relatively savvy from a digitally point of view have probably gone a little bit deeper. Yeah, and those that were and those that were perhaps new to all the experiences that digital 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 can offer them mm-hmm. will probably lean into a greater degree. It certainly won't become the new normal, I'd imagine, for a few generations, but they'll certainly yeah. lean in far more than they did previously. So yeah. so, so so this will net out with a far greater uh yeah, there'll be a far greater uh, balance towards uh towards digital. Makes absolutely sense. Um 
Good. So, so one of the very, very sort of hot topics, if you will, is uh, well, it's been going on for a while, but even more so is sort of privacy, third-party cookies, first-party cookies, zero-party data, all these these kind of things. Um, so let's try and set the scene a little bit. So, uh, I mean, um, uh, Google has been quite sort of leading the field in terms of announcing um, stopping third-party cookie. Uh, uh, tr tracking in in the in the Chrome browser at least, right? Um, so, j just give us the the brief summary uh, from from your side. What was how is it on the inside of Google at the minute? Speaking about privacy, uh, third party Google uh, cookies, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. What's the latest and greatest? Well, I mean, first and foremost, it's complicated. Yes, it's very complicated. I and mean, I've sat through up team training sessions on what the future will look like and, and, and what does that mean from a, from a privacy perspective. Mm -hmm. and, and, and first and foremost, you know, marketing fundamentally won't change. You know, there will still be, or you will still have to have a almost religious-like focus yeah. on the customer. You'll have yeah. to think through the purchase funnel. You'll have to work through awareness through to, um, through to action and loyalty. So, but that there's no big bang, change. right? I think, I mean, uh, people get scared, right? Third-party cookies, gone. What are we going to do now? A lot of people are, are sort of concerned about that. So let's just underline that. There's not going to be a big bang. We will figure this out. Is that correct? We, we, we will. We will. And there are a bunch of solutions that are already that are already being put out there. And, and yeah. perhaps we can talk to that. We can talk to that in a few minutes. I think what's probably, it probably makes sense just to set the scene a little with, with, yeah. what's, got us, with what's got us to this point. Yeah. And... I think understanding the reasons behind the privacy changes, mm -hmm. uh, certainly from a CMO and a C-level point of view, you know, are essential in terms of setting future strategy. So if you think, number one, users just lacking trust and just demanding greater privacy. Mm -hmm. you know, there, was a, there was a Deloitte study that spoke to 81% you know, of consumers reported taking some kind of an action based on privacy concerns, whether that's deleting an app or deleting their browser history, deleting cookies, or whatever else. So, mm. you know, 81% of, of users, that's huge. You know, that's significant. So yeah. from a user point of view, there's clearly the need for some kind of change. We're now seeing that change. So point two would be the browser changes. Mm -hmm. This is where it all starts to get quite complicated, you know, between Safari, Mozilla, and then what's been going on with Chrome. Mm -hmm. um, but Safari for a long time has had an issue with third-party cookies. And, you know, as apps were introduced, that started to create some issues with, with tracking in itself. Mozilla's then gone a little bit um, a little bit further in some of the changes that, that it has made through its ETP program compared to Safari's ITP program. And as with everything digital and online marketing, there's, there's enough acronyms to confuse everyone. Yeah. Um, and then Chrome's followed suit to a degree Albeit Chrome's got a had to, has had to take in a slightly different position as it needs to recognize and understand the full ecosystem of users, publishers. You know, we we need an ad funded web, so we have mm -hmm. to be conscious of that. Mm -hmm. uh, and then advertisers as well. And you know, third party cookies have been huge in terms of helping them attribute value, target, measure performance, or or whatever else. Yeah. Um, so that's probably number two in terms of the big privacy changes, in terms mm -hmm. of the big browser changes, and then there's the big regulatory changes as well. And this, you know, these would have been uh, these would have been the big changes that, that that really made the headlines two or three years ago. You know, from a Europe point of view, it was GDPR, all about consent, 
ticking all of those boxes every time you go on to onto a web page you know cambridge analytical probably didn't do any of us any favors albeit anyone who works in who works in digital marketing has probably ever watched uh, watched the documentary or read about that thinking that's just kind of what we do yeah um, i think from talking to to a couple of friends who who either worked there or who know someone worked there you know were quite you know, happily talk to how it was blown massively out of proportion in terms of what they were actually doing. And it was one boastful CEO perhaps talking out of turn with what was actually going on. Yeah. Um, but that's a, you know, the story was already out there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the US has their version of GDPR now. South America's got um, its own version, or not necessarily South America, Brazil and, and whatever else. So that's going to become the norm. So there's three, um, three big drivers of change between yeah. users browser changes and then regulatory changes yeah. it's so, coming it's here to stay and now we need to figure out how to, how do we how do we deal with this right and, and what do we do going forward so yeah, so, exactly. that, so, so uh, segueing into that so you know sort of how, what sort of consequences do you see for the iGaming industry when this is coming in and 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 more importantly what what are the solutions for the for the operators the affiliates uh, you know anyone who's who, who's who's very interested in this topic how should they be thinking? So that's that's a really it's a really interesting one, and I I sit here with my Google hat on, so I could give you, um, you know, the Google blurb on what does that mean for for privacy. Um, yeah. But if we like fundamentally, we need to be in a position whereby you have a business that is comfortable with change, mm-hmm. and a business that's ready to understand. You know what's gone on with what's gone on with privacy, and therefore make adjustments in terms of your in your setup. So, if you were to think through, you know, a third party cookie, and what does that mean? Well, the use of third party cookie are kind of targeting, personalization, and measurement. Um, you know, third party cookies have helped support the ad, you know, the ad supported web for a long time. They help publishers make more money. You know, they help advertisers reduce wastage. And if you're a publisher within this space. Let's say you're the New York Times, for example, and you have six million subscribers. That's a hell of a lot of data that you can work with. Equally, if you're if you're Google or Facebook, um, so there's going to be partnerships that you can still uh, that you can still uh, that, that try try to uh, kind of manufacture and, and 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 build media plans around that won't necessarily change. Mm-hmm. So if I'm a, if I'm an operator, or I'm affiliate. I'm still thinking about my media mix. I'm still thinking through well. Does this drastically change from a Google point of view? Does this drastically change from a Facebook point of view? Does this drastically change in my affiliates? Perhaps not. Does this just drastically change with some of the big display media buys that I'm making? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Um, you will have to make some changes. You know, so from a Google point, from a Google point of view, uh, for you to take advantage of um, most of our future technologies, you would have to have something called a global site tag um, that you're putting in place on all web pages. Mm-hmm. And you know that's something that you know we're monitoring very closely because we know that's what will help fuel you know a a, a privacy driven future. I'm mm-hmm. sure Facebook have an equivalent. I'm sure Amazon probably have an equivalent. Um, so if I'm an operator, I'm starting to think, well, what does that mean for us? Mm-hmm. And then I'm becoming, you know, you, you, there's probably the need to become more comfortable with gaps in your data. Mm. That's that's just going to be you know the nature of the future and. Mm-hmm. When you're thinking about tracking, you know one has to get comfortable with this idea of prediction more so than precision. 
And, and by that, I mean, you're going to need to augment your data. Mm-hmm. There's going to need to be far more modeling. Um, certainly when working with some of the big platforms and when working with some of your media partners in terms of how they understand, you know, who's converted where, you know, because without a, a cookie to do that, mm-hmm. then we're, all, we're, we're all going to be struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, but what you will find is there will be some solutions that are brought up to plug the gaps that are lost through um, through cookies. So if you think about uh, if you think about targeting and prospecting, yeah. what you'll start to see is audience segments, and there will be clusters. Again, from a Google point of view, we have however many billion users across our seven products, so we have the scale with which to build these clusters, and we can offer them as in-market audience. Again, that's very much prediction. Mm-hmm. You can offer them as affinity targeting, so interest targeting. Um, and you can augment your prospecting activity with those audience lists. So again, okay. you're, not see- you're not seeing any drastic changes. So the targeting options are still available. It's just, like you're saying, let's say less, less precise. It's clusters, it's bigger groups uh, to, to, you know, to make the individual user sort of disappear in the crowd, if you will. Um, so you can't target that accurately. Uh, and, and then you said from precision to prediction, yeah, it's, it's it's just it's just been it's been more comfortable, you know. This idea of the single customer view, mm. you know, that's not that's not really a thing anymore. Certainly, when oh. you go cross channel, that's that's not really a thing. Mm. Um, when you think about multi touch attribution, mm-hmm. that becomes quite quite difficult to do again when you're growing when you're going cross channel. Mm-hmm. Uh, Data driven attribution can still be a thing, certainly mm-hmm. within within individual platforms. But this idea of precision becomes quite complicated. One-to-one marketing, you know, the, um, whatever it was, the right customer at the right time with the right ad, that becomes somewhat of a, somewhat of a struggle. And it's been comfortable with the idea of prediction. And there's a need to have better first-party data. Again, for the gambling industry, it's not as big a story. You know, what you will typically hear with any privacy narrative, the first thing, the go-to next line is first-party data. Mm-hmm. But with the gambling industry, it's very much a pure play online industry anyway. You know, the mechanic, the KYC process mm-hmm. of playing a game requires, mm-hmm. a, requires a sign-up. Yeah. So the, the industry, by and large, has a hell of a lot of first-party data. It could probably do a few more interesting things with that first-party data, yeah, but it, it generally has first-party data um, but for the existing base. Concerned. For the existing base, right? But I guess that it's more the sort of the, the prospecting uh, part of the equation. How do we find how do we find new new customers, right? Yeah, and that's where that's where you know in the US, for example, yeah, you know, even across Europe, you know, free-to-play games yeah. start to become quite interesting. You know, there are yeah. ways in which operators and, and affiliates can adjust their model to think about products that they can perhaps put out there. Um, that might not that might not well generate their generate generate revenue. Yeah. Uh, but are there still need to collect first party data yeah. to augment their existing data yeah. to help them do more in- interesting things with. So, yeah, there becomes some, there are some fairly subtle changes that could be made as well. But the industry is in a, in a reasonable in a reasonable place. So, so if we if we simplify this, if we try and take two steps back, so as an operator, let's say I would. In order to collect first-party data, I would create a free-to-play game or a free-to-play sweepstake or whatever I, I, I could do. Uh, put that out there. Um, uh, use that to collect 
first party data effectively uh, and potentially that could you know play into my uh, acquisition strategy overall and then I'm collecting that data then I'm still able to take that pool of data for targeting purposes is that correctly understood yeah I mean, as long as you've got the necessary consent yeah uh, obviously then, yeah then, <laughs> yeah that becomes a given I think now uh, yeah. but then yeah absolutely I mean that's okay. that's, that, that's first party data and 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 yeah, you're you're free to use that data as you would as you, know, as you wish. Yeah, you know, which is what makes you know Skybet Super Six you know such a powerful product. Certainly, yeah. in a world in which pros- prospecting will be a little tougher. You know, there yeah. will be opportunities, but it will be a little tougher. So it's about being creative. It's about uh, getting comfortable with uh, with not being a hundred percent accurate. And uh, yeah, and that talks that talks to the cultural point I made uh, I made up front. You know that fast fail that experimentation type culture well these are easy throwaway things to say yeah but but being happy at 70 percent accurate yeah or being being happy with a project you know being uh, being taken on that's got a 70 percent chance of success Mm -hmm. Uh, i think that's what we're going to need to see in order to create the necessary change um, to adjust to what will be and again hate to say a new normal and a privacy centric future yeah, and and give us a sense of where where do you see us being in this timeline, uh, uh, Chris, from from third party to to shifting fully to to first party or, or zero party data. I mean, to a degree, we're you know, we're right in the middle. We're right in the middle. You know, Safari's already made some fairly significant changes, and given yeah. how how mobile first this industry is, mm-hmm. and the and the role of the role of Safari, yeah, most of that data isn't trackable. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the conversions that we see will probably be modelled off the back of Chrome data, given that uh, you know cookies are still available. Um, but then, you know, Chrome has put out a timeline with which it wants to remove third-party data. I think that's probably you know, a year or so uh, from today. So mm-hmm. there will be some significant changes that start to land through something known as the privacy sandbox. But I don't know if we want to go into into that today. No. Um, and that will present some some changes that uh, marketers and practitioners will will need to get comfortable with. So we're probably right in the middle. And I think for anyone listening, if you haven't already thought about a privacy pillar as part of your business strategy, mm-hmm. or at the very least as part of your marketing strategy, then that's probably a problem. Yeah. And you would probably need to think about who you can bring in from the engineering, tech and product side to sit on a project pillar with some practitioners on the marketing side to figure out well, what do we do about this? Because the ultimate winners out of this, certainly from a marketing point of view and therefore a new customer point of view, be the ones who can make best use of the data they have yeah. and also partner with the best products, the best platforms, and the best publishers um, to use the data that they have to augment their data and therefore you know, advertise effectively and either acquire new customers or upsell or reduce churn or whatever else you would typically do um, off your own site. And that's a that's a great segue. Um, we spoke we spoke a bit uh, earlier, Chris, and you mentioned one thing that is also coming, also talking about sort of getting comfortable with less precision. So you mentioned. The, sort of the the rise of keyword less search so, so do you want to <laughs> we're going from from you know we're just attacking the big big topics here maybe we should take a quick jingle here and have a glass of water <laughs> <laughs> 
I had to use that fancy sound effect. Chris, keywordless search. What does that mean? What's coming? Yeah, so I, I don't want to scare everyone. Um, I think this chat needs to be heavily caveated up front that I don't work on our search product team. Um, and unfortunately for me, um, our search product team doesn't have a direct line into me whereby they want to give me updates with with all the changes that uh, that we're making. Um, but the direction of travel is pretty clear. And, and I think, you know, when we were, were having a very brief chat um, earlier on, you know, I said that this could potentially be an interesting subject. Mm-hmm. It's more so because of the direction of travel. Yeah. And it's more so because of what machine learning allows us to do. Mm-hmm. And if you look at products that the gambling industry hasn't been exposed to from a Google point of view, and, and the most obvious one there is shopping campaigns and what happens on the retail side, that's already keywordless. You know, it, to, to work with that product and give or take 50% of, uh, of shopping activity with Google will flow through this product mm-hmm. on, top of, on top of search tech stats, just to give you a, a feeling for the scale and size of the product. Okay. That's already keywordless as I, as I spoke to. And to use that product, you will feed in an outcome Mm-hmm. What, you, what you would want out could be a target target return and ad spend. Um, you would connect it to your merchant center and away it goes. And that product will optimize using the various products and channels that Google has in order mm-hmm. to help you hit that target ROAS mm-hmm. off the back of your merchant center and some creative assets that you can put on top of it. Yeah. So just to be absolutely clear for the for for Peter sitting at home in his living room, it's still very much keywords he types into Google when he when he uses search, but it's obviously the advertising solution behind it. So basically, what we're saying is, at some point, we don't know how long that that piece of string is yet, but at some point, uh, advertisers will not be able to bid on keywords effectively. Is that what we're saying? I mean, again, as I've said, a heavy caveat here, and this isn't yeah. breaking news, breaking news, but um. Uh, The direction of travel suggests that at some point, search advertising may well not involve bidding on or choosing your own keywords with which to bid on, which potentially presents some issues for a sensitive subject, such as as the gambling industry. Mm -hmm. Um, This industry relies on being being compliant. Um, This industry relies on... Uh, a probably more so than any, than any other industry, a fairly robust negative targeting capability, whereby yeah. you can say we do not want to appear on these keywords. Yeah. Um, so that would always have to be that will always have to be considered, and we'd imagine you know any future would take that would take that into consideration. Um, but if, as I've said, if you think about our shopping products, so you think about our app product again, mm-hmm. our app product again doesn't allow for too much manipulation doesn't yeah. allow for too much targeting you simply yeah. say we want to achieve a cost per install of ten dollars mm-hmm. here here is some creative assets mm-hmm. off you go please yeah. go and do that for us um, and here's our budget cap and this is what we're looking to spend mm-hmm. now the advertisers that can feed that machine with slightly more data Will typically have a better experience mm-hmm. so if you can say to the machine here's our cpi but alongside that here's the gross gaming revenue we're looking to achieve against that against that ad spend or here's the net gaming revenue we're looking to achieve against that ad spend the machine mm-hmm. can take all of that information on board and can go out and find the necessary clicks and impressions 
against yeah. the creative assets that you fed it you fed into it with which to perform so that's that's the big big enabler you know yeah. this is all about machine learning it's all about automation and you know when we work with the industry there are some clients that are bought into this there are some clients that have adjusted their teams there are some clients that have brought on you know a slightly different personnel set with a slightly different skill set mm-hmm. with which to take advantage of it mm-hmm. and they're massively reaping the rewards but there are others that we still speak to and it's as if nothing's changed since yeah. 2010 yeah and, and 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 that can make for an interesting back and forth between a google um, a Google team trying to support that business and helping to educate them against what the future is going to look like mm-hmm. versus a set of practitioners or a team. And to a large degree, they're held back by potentially proxy metrics that are put on top of them. But that's that's a slightly different conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so much of this is predicated on the back of machine learning and automation. Yeah. And that's what allows us to look at a future without keywords. So there's a there's for sure a lot of um, um, uh, you know people and teams and roles and meetings taking place looking at sort of especially within our industry right so you know looking at these are the most valuable you know players or or the traffic we want to have on our site which keywords did they come from and then optimize the strategy from there so so like you're saying it's not here yet but the direction of travel is moving to a world where that's no longer possible eventually one day like you will be or you know you will have some hints but it will be much much less granular and um and and the the ai and the machine learning on on google side of things will will ha- will do a lot of the heavy lifting effectively and like you're mentioning as well the the industry has to get comfortable with that and also the more comfortable the industry is with sharing data the more accurate that machine will be at, at at giving you what you want, effectively, whether you're an operator or affiliate or or, or whatever. Is that sort of a, a fair summary? Yeah, yeah, I think that I think that sums it up well. It's it's that idea of being, it's that idea of, of going after the user and not the keyword. Mm-hmm. So you're you're in effect stepping up a level. Yeah. Now, now again, for a practitioner that has built his or her career on 10 years of keyword targeting with a specific set of keywords that they know deliver, uh, that they know deliver an output in the casino or that might well be online casino or best casinos or or Mm -hmm. whatever else. Mm -hmm. It's quite a sizable change. It's quite a sizable shift in in, in the mentality. Um, But if you ally that with, you know, 15% of Google searches are new every day. So your keywords will never take into consideration that 15% of new searches huge opportunity yeah voice voice searches they're mm-hmm. changing how users are interacting with with google as a product can your keywords take into consideration those voice searches yeah so you're potentially leaving a whole bunch of searches whereby the intent of that search is to find an online casino for example but you're not covering it because you've got a fairly hardened set of keywords that you're comfortable with and those keywords are typically in place based on a cpa yeah, And, you know, the, the very nature of a CPA is that it's an average. So we can probably assume that with this industry where the Pareto effect is pretty high, you know, yeah. 80%, 80% of the clicks might well be pointless and wasted. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 20%, yeah, 20% of them might well be, you know, the clicks that, that everyone's chasing. Mm-hmm. What this keywordless, or even before we get to keywordless, what this automated future looks like 
is a world in which you can actually go after the user mm-hmm. and therefore reduce the wastage associated with the 80% of clicks to those keywords that don't pay back for you. And by going after the user, whereby you know the keyword that they uh, the keyword that you place an ad against their query is just one of say ten thousand signals that we can look at. Yeah. What a keywordless future starts to help you think about is a focus on the other nine thousand nine hundred and ninety nine signals yeah. that you can perhaps attach yourself to, and not necessarily the keyword that that person searches for. We know so much more about each of our users. Yeah. We can lean on that data, and what machine learning allows us to do is to allow an ad to be placed against all of that data you know, in a split second. Yeah. By doing that, advertisers can take advantage. So a lot of our conversations now are around, can you feed gross gaming revenue through? Can you feed net gaming revenue through? And what the machine yeah. will do is go out and find users who can be a positive, positive contributor to your gross gaming revenue yeah. or can be a positive contributor to your net gaming revenue. And one really interesting use case that we've seen so far that a bunch of operators have started to play with is feeding through responsible gambling signals. Okay. By feeding through responsible gambling signals, what you will then have search marketing do is go out and find users, again, not necessarily based on the keywords that they're typing in, Mm -hmm. that are more aligned to what a responsible player looks like. Yeah, I was going to say, can, can you give an example of like what, what would those kind of signals be? Or like when you say responsible gambling signals, what would they be feeding through? I mean, it would be for each operator to decide, but what we would, the output of that would be perhaps a score between one and a hundred. Yeah. Um, you know, they could hash that. We would never have to know what that score is. And again, I think that's something that a bunch of operators are still getting used to, you know, as a, yeah. as a compliance teams that, that we have to work with. Yeah. Uh, but that can be, that can be anything. I mean, they will have their own, um, I'd imagine their own ML, their own machine learning systems that look at, you know, the propensity for a user to become a problem gambler. Um, mm-hmm. and that, can, that can be based on, I don't know, you know, I, I'd imagine there's an element of deposits and losses and, and, and whatever else. And yeah. they can start to feed that data. Once they can package that up, they can feed that data through a one to a hundred score, a hundred being these are the exact customers that we want. These are responsible customers. Mm-hmm. These are the customers that we want to require versus a one whereby avoid these users. So regardless of the keywords that those users are looking for, the machine already knows to bid down, bid down on those users. Um, they're not users that are going to contribute positively to the signals that we're now feeding into the machine. So already you start to get a feel for well, what does the future practitioner looks like mm-hmm. in this world that could potentially be keywordless. You know, what does that future practitioner look like? Someone who can understand all of that data, someone who can play with that data, knowing that so many of the tasks that certainly I grew up on as I was making my way through search marketing don't really exist anymore. Yeah, yeah. They've, they've, they've been automated. Yeah. I was going to say, if there if there's some uh, positive to, to look at here as well, I, I think, you know, having spent 15 years in, 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 the, in this industry and in marketing as well, you know, something that, you have to sort of remind yourself of very often, especially on the digital side of things, is to sort of pull yourself back saying, you know, these are real human beings, you know, it's it's Peter and uh, and, and Pia and Luis and whatever, uh, and it's not numbers, right? So I think by, you know, maybe that's one of the things that it will sort of force the industry to become even better at thinking about real human beings, personas, you know, like you're saying, it's not that super granular keyword level, it's, it's, it's one or two steps further up 
um, uh, which hopefully could contribute to to that. I don't know what what you think. Just a different perspective on it. Oh, completely, completely. And and, and you know, those practitioners start to do you know cooler stuff around strategic projects, new yeah. ideas, creative user experience, landing page optimization. There's there's so many more tasks that require a creative angle. Yeah, the machine just can't take into consideration. Yeah, there's there's the chance to look at you know look at data and, and start to segment and start to really work out you know how can we get the best out of this channel, not just yeah. what have we done previously and how can we repeat the next year, but yeah. can can we reduce the CPA by ten percent and increase the volume by ten percent? Yeah, yeah. Which, yeah. Is, which is pretty much. Yeah, I think there's so much of our headspace and our, our our you know hours of the day that goes into attribution, measurement, tracking, you know, every all the granular details. And of course, a lot of that will still exist. But you know, would it be fair to say maybe we're overdoing it slightly? Maybe there is a a, a world where we should you know let the machines handle a lot of that, uh, optimize on on our behalf, and that will free up some some you know it will lift us in, uh, you know a few steps up the ladder. Um, and I think that would be greatly beneficial, to be honest, uh, for for the industry and, and marketers overall. Hundred percent. And there's this there's this weird phenomenon known as algorithm aversion, yeah. whereby whereby people get upset when algorithms fail, okay. and they and they, they struggle to forgive the algorithm. <laughs> Whereas, should a human have failed in the same way, yeah, it's it's quite quickly forgotten, and we and we move on. Yeah, but should. Uh, should a machine fail, it, it, it leads a lasting mark. And smart bidding, you know, two, three years ago is nowhere near the product that smart bidding is today. Mm-hmm. But a bunch of the conversations that we have, you know, some some of them can go, you know, this is exactly what we're trying to do. But for a whole for a whole bunch of them, there's this idea of, well, it doesn't really work, does it? Um, yeah, we tried it two years ago, or we tried yeah. to do this three years ago, and it didn't really work. So we're just going to we're just going to stick to what we to what we've been doing. So there's this idea of just constantly testing the technology, constantly looking at how does it shape up against our manual bidding practices, or how does it shape up against how we go into how we go into an event. And certainly on the sports betting side of this industry, where you're never more than a month away from the next big event, mm-hmm. and there's that risk. And and, and 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 the algorithm aversion and the idea of well, if the machines don't work for the event, then we're not going to hit targets and, and that's clearly a bad thing. Um, so we have to work with that constantly. But no, to your point, there's there's lots more that uh, the practitioners can be putting putting their time into, given that yeah. so many of the practices that we just took for granted or we we focused on and now and now automated. Fantastic. You, you touched briefly on on audio search uh, as well let's just let's just briefly touch on that so so just do, do you have any stats like how, so how big is audio search today um this is a really interesting one it's a really interesting one I actually uh, i was doing a piece in audio search a few months ago and and what becomes instantly obvious even when going through and working with the product managers here that two years ago this is that this was a much bigger deal than it is than it is today Mm. And, and, and two years ago, um, it was all about Alexa and Google Home and, and whatever else. And what does that what's that going to mean? And and more so the the literature being put together in and around this was on SEO. And and how do we need to adjust our site setups to be able to take advantage of you know slightly longer searches? And what mm-hmm. does that mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but as we started to understand the data. 
you know, 45% of voice searches come from someone in a car. Yeah. Um, you know, interacting with either Android or um, or Apple or or whatever else. That's 45% of, of all voice searches. Yeah. And then 25% of them, you know, happen within the home, mostly okay. within a mostly within a kitchen. So, so car is much bigger than home audio search today, effectively. Completely, completely. Yeah. Okay. Um, and there isn't a whole bunch of monetizable opportunities yeah. around someone either looking for directions, trying to change the radio mm-hmm. um, in terms of putting a, a different channel on. You get mm-hmm. an understanding for what the basic commands would be through um, through audio search. Then things that happen within in the kitchen, mostly rapid recipes, yeah. uh, mostly, mostly looking for... Um, I mean, if it was if, if it's my home, it's mostly putting a timer on for eggs, <laughs> and, that's, and that's about the ex- that's about the extent of it. I'm not sure many people are going to monetize. Not so relevant for the for the gaming industry, perhaps. But. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. And then there's the personal assistant side of it. So Unless you can bet on it, well, which egg is going to cook? <laughs> there's some innovation sitting here, uh, Chris. It, yeah, you need it, to it, patent this. It'd be green, green every time, green every yeah. time. Um, and then there's the personal assistant side of it as well. So I have a Google Home that sits in that sits in yeah. my kitchen. I will ask yeah. it about my ask it about my day every so often. Get a feeling for the yeah. calendar. Get a feeling for what's going on. But again, it's not necessarily monetizable. And yeah. the what about to- people sitting on their sitting on their mobile phones or on their desktop? Oh, sorry, I guess mobile phones is the, is the use case, right? So uh, as opposed to trying to type with, with with one finger or whatever, just clicking on the microphone and and saying, you know, find me the best online casino. Yeah, and, and look, it's it, it, there's an input. I think, you know, two years ago we were telling the world that 20% of all searches mm-hmm. are on our voice search. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was speaking to the product managers a couple of months ago. We don't have an updated figure to that. Yeah, we're not we're not being asked for an updated figure to that. It's not quite as front and center as perhaps it once was. All yeah. this typically meaning is longer searches. And from a paid point of view, you know, semantics takes that into consideration. We've made some changes to match types. And again, we're getting into quite a lot of detail here. Mm-hmm. We've made some changes to match types that allows for voice searches to be taken into consideration mm-hmm. as and when, you know, a practitioner is building out their, is building out their search campaigns. So there isn't, there isn't a whole load that a, uh, that a marketing team really needs to stay, take into consideration in and around what's going on from a voice search voice search point of view. You know, there's a hell of a lot, certainly from a mobile phone point of view, yeah. that's voice to display. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, yeah. yeah, exactly. No, I, I guess some of the conversations I have been part of, at least, was sort of more um, that... Uh, as people would be, uh, you know, their every day is faster and faster. They just they simply don't have, you know, why would I type if I can just, uh, you know, u- use audio and then re- return results? So as opposed to, uh, you know, uh, you know, find me the best uh, sports betting exchange, they, they they should just say find me Betfair or or whatever it may be. So and therefore there is a lot more importance on building brand, building salience, building top of mind. Because you want users to click on the microphone and say, find me X brand, as opposed to, you know, you're not going to look at the search results coming back. You just want to go there much faster than, than skimming through 10 results effectively. So, so the, you know, shifting or, or increasing the importance of building brand, I guess, as, a, as an operator. And, and I would 100% advocate for that. But in, in order to influence voice search will probably be reason number seven. Yeah. As to why you should be investing yeah. in your brand. Yeah. Why you yeah. should be looking to create something that, yeah. you know, stands out in what is a fairly crowded marketplace. Yeah. But there would be a no doubt a positive knock on effect for voice searches. I just 
And again, I work for Google. I don't yeah. see people walking down the street talking to their phones just yet. I don't yeah. stand, I don't sit on the tube. I haven't been on the tube for about 12 months. <laughs> I don't sit on the tube, I don't sit what? on the tube and, and see people talking into their phone just yet. So yes, it's a thing. Is it something that should be front and center from a marketing strategy point of view? I, I don't think so just yet. It's like VR 10 years ago kind of thing. Uh, correct. Yeah. I, 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 you know, I, I remember when I put my Google glasses on and I thought, this is it. This is the future. Yeah. Um, you don't it see will be one day, Chris. It will be one day when they, when they, well, it, when you do lenses, right? If, it, well, if you're, if you're a surgeon, when, when is it coming? It, it, when is, is it today? coming to this? Google lenses. Well, if you're a, <laughs> if, if you're a surgeon, you know, it's, it, it's already a big part of your world. Um, yeah. I just don't, I just don't feel as it's, it's quite ready for mass consumption just yet. No. Well, certainly, certainly in pockets. It, it was, I'm not sure. Did you ever play around with? Google glasses. I, I didn't myself actually. No, I, I've never no. tried. It was it, no, it was brilliant. Like it was absolutely brilliant. Yeah. It, it just didn't quite meet with user expectation. Yeah. It, it, it. Yeah. It's a bit weird to think that you're that you're sat on a tube and you've got yeah. the ability to take pictures of everyone simply by blinking. Yeah. It was. It, it's. A, it's a bit weird as it started to get explained. Yeah. Um, to the general public. Yeah. Too. Too early. Um, Chris, this is a fantastic conversation. We're already over time. We've gone for more than an hour. Are, are you okay for another five minutes, five, 10 minutes? Yeah, yeah. Cool. Uh, I want to go back to YouTube. We were, you were mentioning it a, a little bit in the, in, in the beginning. Uh, so let's talk a little about YouTube. For me, there's kind of two things. There's a content side of things. Uh, really interesting to hear your thoughts on uh, streaming. Uh, what's the future of content? Is it short form, long form, all these kind of things? And and um, uh, uh, that could be really fun. Also, YouTube Shorts. I don't know uh, how widely launched it has been yet, but it would be fun to hear about that. Uh, yeah, let's start there. Content on YouTube. What, what's the what's the latest and greatest? What what's top of mind on your, on your side of things? Yeah, well, I mean, look, YouTube's a a weird and wonderful beast. And yeah, you know, I alluded to you know, at the start of our conversation, you know, watching Joe Wicks's exercise videos, you know, helped maintain my sanity at the start of lockdown. And and that's YouTube in its purest form. It's a home for people's passions. You know, yeah. I like I like the NFL. Um, I'm not exposed to the same content that's available in the US. Yeah, I know I can pop onto YouTube and watch Pat, Pat McAfee or Colin Cowherd or ESPN or the NFL content channel. So. I'm surrounded uh, by content that I want to consume when I want to consume it. So mm. in itself, uh, you know, YouTube has a standout proposition and the content that's on the platform has been through a little bit of a journey in, in recent years. Um, if, if, if you were to think back two or three years ago, you know, we probably didn't have the same level of premium content on the platform that we even have today. You know, from a from a UK point of view, 15 minutes after every Sky Sports game, there will be a six-minute highlight clip posted onto YouTube. You know, 15 minutes to 30 minutes after every BT Sport game, there'll be a six-minute highlight clip posted onto the platform. Um, I had a chat with the with the NBA um, a, a few weeks ago. You know, and they've been on the platform for 15 years and have posted some 80,000 80, videos and they can now interact with 80 million uniques across the world. Mm -hmm. um, again, it's just, it, it's mind blowing to think about the control that they can have on their content, but also, you know, the distribution potential through, um, through a single global platform and, and, and Byron Sharp, you know, calls it the first global ad supported TV channel. 
And that's very much where it's at. And the content has been on a journey. And we're now in a place whereby there's the premium offerings. Um, there's the behind the scenes and the fringe stuff. And again, I'm thinking about this through a sports lens. Mm-hmm. But, then there's the, but then there's the player stuff whereby the player can own uh, his or her own content. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the fan created stuff. And again, that each brings its own audience and yeah. each brings an opportunity from an advertising side in which you can you can attach yourself. You know, Arsenal TV, again, over here in the UK, you know, it polarizes Arsenal football fans, but it gets a hell of a lot of views. You know, and there's opportunities for sports betting companies to perhaps attach themselves to, uh, to those views. Mm-hmm. And from a, you know, a pure numbers point of view, it becomes interesting how users engage with that content. Again, in the UK, we had 20 million people in December watching YouTube via their TV. That's a big number. Yeah. 20 million people watching YouTube via their TV. In the US, yeah. it's a it's 120 million people yeah. Would, yeah. would watch YouTube content through through their TV. And roughly the same ratio, actually. That's, that's interesting. One, one, one third of the population, roughly, give or take. Uh, yeah. Correct, correct, and 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 that's that's okay. That in itself brings about, and again, with my marketing and advertising hat on, yeah, that brings about a whole bunch of uh, complexities associated with um, AV planning, and you know where does YouTube fit into that into that media mix? You know, three or four years ago, it was the domain of the uh, performance practitioner. Or the yeah. search practitioner, you know what YouTube sat. You could buy it through AdWords, so yeah. you you yeah. deal with it. You know you yeah. deal with it, and tell us about the CPA. Yeah, you know, yeah. The is, language- is YouTube reach and frequency, or is it uh, is it CPA? Are you, am I trying to build my brand here, or is it hardcore performance marketing? Like, what, what what's your view? I, I mean, again, if it, it, if it was me and I was spending my money, I'd be using it for for reach and frequency. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd, I'd very much be thinking about it as a way in which I could hit, you know, 18 to 34s. You know, we have 98% reach of 18 to 34s. You know, that's the uh, that's the future of any sports betting or casino company yeah. um, or any bingo company or, or whatever else. Um, there's 90 minutes of content consumed on YouTube by 18 to 34s every day. That's out of six hours of total content consumption. Yeah. Live live TV is about 75 minutes. And so, a chunk and a chunk of that's the BBC, which yeah. you can't advertise on. So the opportunity is 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 extensive, certainly from a brand building point of view. So so I guess where where, where the conversation still sits, right, is if you want to reach the masses and and you want to build brand, uh, you know, in a big way, then it's still TV and YouTube is is uh, let's say secondary in that conversation are you saying now that youtube from a reach perspective reach and frequency youtube can now match tv or even better than tv is that sort of the view on it or 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 or, or is it more like being part of the mix like like how um, how would you say yeah, there's, there's still a balance to be struck there's still a balance to be struck and, and i think at this point youtube is still a incremental option on top of tv Mm-hmm. But again, within this industry, what we have to be considerate of is the complexities and nuances that are not familiar to other industries. So, for example, you know, you would have the whistle to whistle ban mm-hmm. in the UK. In the UK, mm-hmm. you would have the 9 p.m. 
watershed, you would have the exposure risk mm-hmm. of under eight, of under eighteens seeing your ads. You just can't stop that. Yeah. Um, whereas on a platform such as YouTube, we only allow you to target eighteen plus yeah. logged in users. So a user must be logged in and have declared that they are over eighteen. Mm-hmm. So in itself. That's a that, that, you know, there's, there's a protection built into it. As I've said to you before, we offer category opt-out. So any user can say, I just don't want to see gambling ads. So they can literally deselect the entire gambling category. Correct. And Correct. that's it. If they tick that box, that's it. Game over. That's it. No gambling ads. No gambling ads. And again, that, these are the benefits of being online. So you get this convergence effect whereby, yeah. you know, if we were to think about YouTube now being, in effect, a TV channel. Let's mm-hmm. look at it through that lens and use that as a starting point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yet you get the benefits of targeting that comes yeah. with digital. Yet you get the benefits of the protections that we can put in place that comes through digital. Yeah. You yeah. very quickly get this very promising proposition that should be a fundamental part of every uh, of every operator, even yeah. ag- even an aggregator to an extent, reach and yeah. frequency reach and frequency plans. Yeah, and and something like category opt out. out. My my mind also goes to the creators, the content creators, right? It's a it's a hot potato in in, in the industry, you know, especially the casino streamers, uh, you know, uh, on YouTube and 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 Twitch and the like, you know, and sort of, you know, sort of, uh, there's a lot of controversy around, you know, uh, you know how hardcore can you be, uh, uh, you know, how big wins can you show, how big can your average bet size be. Uh, for 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 that to be sort of a, a, a good way of a good a good content uh, piece and 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 I guess sort of now that there is a you know opt out of the entire category I, I I would say that speaks to thinking long term and building content that is sustainable that is responsible that is entertaining and not just sort of you know short term hardcore content if that makes sense i don't know how to describe it better i don't know what's your view on on casino streaming in 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 general chris and 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 how do you feel creators uh and operators i guess should 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 think about this space how should they behave and how should they act okay again you know there's there's a lot in that um you know i i i said at the the start of of the youtube piece that for me YouTube allowed me to explore my passions. You know, that's what YouTube allows. And if an individual's passion is to watch others hitting big game jackpots or to watch someone playing a slot machine, then YouTube presents a home, you know, for, for, for that activity. Yeah. Whether whether or not we choose to allow monetization of those of that content is a different mm-hmm. is a, is a different conversation. Mm-hmm. And, and and should we allow monetization of that content? whether or not an operator then chooses to monetize or to advertise against that content is again mm-hmm. a, a different mm-hmm. conversation we mm-hmm. offer we have the opportunity to opt out of all live streaming yeah um, ads we would we would typically advise to opt out of all live streaming ads just because of the unpredictability yeah um, that's, att- that's attached to that content and the fact that this industry is already you know on a bit of a on a bit of a knife edge when it comes to um, its advertising practices now there would be some edge cases whereby certain channels might well have a relationship with um, an operator and mm-hmm. therefore they would want to advertise against that absolutely there might well be a relationship whereby there's in video advertising you know that sits outside of perhaps the products that we offer absolutely mm-hmm. you know would advocate for that and 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 as to whether or not an operator 
should advertise or whether or not an operator should partner uh, with live streaming. I think it comes down to what what that operator is trying to achieve and the objectives and the strategy and yeah. and ultimately the value that an operator would see would see out of that. I, I certainly don't think there shouldn't be a place for that, mm-hmm. um, but whether or not that fits with what said operator is trying to achieve, you know, that's mm-hmm. for the operator to determine. And um, from a YouTube and a platform point of view, you know, we will provide the constructs with which to do that as safely as you. Mm-hmm. you can mm-hmm. but, but there would be elements outside of our control that an advertiser would have to be would have to be comfortable with yeah so for example the content of a stream uh, let's take a casino stream for example H- how much would youtube go in and sort of scrutinize or and look at or a policy team or or a moderate team saying okay these guys are you know too aggressive or these guys are clearly for example someone playing for you know tens of thousands of pounds or you know uh, you know two thousand euro bets uh, non-stop for 24 hours versus someone who is much more responsible you know much smaller bet sizes uh, shorter sessions etc etc do do you know is it is it on the operator to find out what they are comfortable with and and, and what they want to sort of uh, monetize, support, work with in terms of content creators, or is there also a moderation piece sitting on on your side of what you will sort of tolerate, if if you, if you will? Yeah, so the, there there would be a, a, an element of uh, brand suitability moderation on our side. Yeah, um, and and by that I mean we don't allow ads against all all channels. You know, a a channel will have to meet certain thresholds. Yeah, and that's that's determined through you know number of subscribers. So you would have to have a minimum number of subscribers. You would have to have a minimum number of YouTube videos that have been put up. So we can look at all channels that have been um, that, that 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 are able to advertise, and we can put a brand suitability check on top of that. But what we can't do is determine the um, uh, is determined to any great degree how well a channel sets up against industry morals or yeah, yeah, yeah. the rights and wrongs of of what should happen within a given industry it's very difficult for us to police that part of it which yes. is where we would then put we would put that onus on the operator yeah and then it's it's for the operator to be comfortable through the regulation in whatever country they're in as to how that's set up against whatever advertising codes exist yeah okay fantastic so that's a long way of me saying, yeah, we put it on the operator. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's absolutely fine. Great. Um, so we're coming to the end here. Let's look at Geo's uh, geography, a look around the world. Uh, Google Play Store finally opening for gambling apps. And uh, I guess the question on everyone's mind is, why did it take so long? Yeah, I mean, this has perhaps been, this has perhaps been my Everest perhaps the best way of describing it and you know we were we were able to open up to dfs apps you know four or five years ago social gambling we opened up social gambling um, again quite a long time ago um, then we opened up real money gambling uh, in the uk ireland and france and we expected that we'd have a fast follow attached to that whereby we would look at the rest of europe um, south america and we'd have a structured rollout program into into new regulated markets um what happened was the processes that underpinned the structure that allowed us to go live with real money gambling apps wasn't fit for purpose, had a bunch of holes in it. Um, and from a tech and engineering side, um, the business would never be comfortable in scaling anything that has holes. So we had to go back to the drawing board to work out 
you know, how Google was going to operate sustainably within this space. And play and ads are a little bit church and state in that they're two very different beasts with different policies and, and whatever else. We had to look at all of that um, and see how that could come together. And then a bunch of macro factors just delayed the process, delayed the program, um, which set us back a little bit. But, you know, we eventually got there. Um, much to the frustration of a lot of the industry and I was on the receiving end of that frustration at every single ICE event, G2E event or or whatever else and and to a degree rightly so. Um, but we're there now and you know we do have a have a rollout plan that'll take us beyond the the 19 countries that we are currently open open for. How has it been received? Like how's it been how's it been going? Well it's about what three months ago? Something like that? When when did you open up? February? I mean uh, yeah it would have been about three months ago. Yeah. Um, it's, it's gone down, you know, look it, it, it's gone down well to, to a lot of operators there's there's an element of you know to your point what took you so long yeah but we're, but, 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 but we're happy that it's there yeah um, you know to others there's still some inherent frustrations that some countries didn't make the list we're um, missing portugal so far i think uh, i've had at least portugal I think I've had the best part of a hundred LinkedIn messages to tell me that Portugal was <laughs> was, was 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 missed off the list, and we'll, we'll look to rectify that. Um, as, as, as soon no as timeline yet. We can't do any breaking news here, Chris, on, on uh, Portugal. I've, I've, I've been I've been burnt before with announcing okay. timelines, and I always find from a managing expectations point of view, it doesn't do anyone any favors. Fair um, enough. It's 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 something that we are uh, that that we're. Uh, that we are looking to change and there's elements of sub-saharan africa and south america that were also not included so uh, we're all looking at a bunch of other countries we're looking at a bunch of other u.s states as well you know the rollout didn't take yeah. into account every single regulated state and that's something that we also have to tackle yeah so we're looking, we're looking at that what, as what's well. the but, state of play in the u.s now for for sports betting and 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 the the, uh, the casino side of things if you will what what's the on, on, current... the, play, on, on the play side yeah yeah so we're we're still looking to open up in um, in michigan and virginia okay um which again is is frustrating for uh, for the operators out there. You know that's where they're looking to establish share. Yeah, uh, it's where they're looking to mitigate against the unregulated offshore market and plays a great way of doing that. Yeah, you know sideloading an APK is just never a is never a great experience. Um, you know, so we are looking to plug that gap as quickly as possible. So we should hopefully have some positive movement on Virginia and Michigan. You know, in the next in the next week or so. Um, and then. Look, the, the position we want to take is that we can get to a place where we allow for pre, pre-registration. Um, therefore, come day one of any state launch, your app is is ready to go. And okay. That's the position we're looking to get to pretty quickly. And with with Arizona, Connecticut, Maryland, New York, Florida, you know, all getting close. You know, we have, you know, we have the football season coming at us pretty quickly as well. Uh, you know, we know the timelines that we're working to, and that's that's that that's that yeah, that's the big push for us right now. Very good, very good. Uh, how how much of your time do you spend on the U.S.? Uh, I mean, obviously for the industry, U.S. is huge, and everyone is you know the, the hottest potato in the industry. I would say at, at the minute, right? How, how is it you know within Google's walls, U.S. versus versus Europe versus versus Latam, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, yeah, big, big, and, and yeah. for me, it's been a huge part of of what I've been doing for the past uh, for the past three years. You know, we were very close to the PASPA repeal. We then started to work out how we would support the industry pretty quickly as a result of that. Yeah, so it's meant that I spent a lot of time in New York, Boston, Chicago, um, which sounds great. But when you're doing New York, Boston, Chicago in three days and heading back to your yeah to your, to your two kids under two, um, yeah. it presents a slightly different challenge. I just hope the you know if the passport repeal would have been three to five years earlier, it would have made for a slightly different experience. Yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah, no. So it was it was it was good to 
uh, yeah, we've, we've, we've been in place you know, since day dot and we've got teams set up to help us support that industry. For me, it takes up you know, a significant portion of my of my time yeah. um, of my of my time um there's uh, there's a different consumer over in the us and, and that's taken us a while to get to get used to and mm-hmm. the proposition and product different is different over there yeah. you know from a marketing point of view it's quite promotion heavy yeah um, that's, again, very, having, that's an interesting point right because that's something we, we you know we, how can i say in, in in some ways obviously the the us market is what 15 years behind the European market, if you will. And if we look back at the European market, it was all about these you know, grand prices and, you know, thousands of this and, and sort of slowly, and it's still like that in certain markets, right? But then the more mature the market, you know, it seems to be, you know, more sort of approachable, transparent, no T's and C's, but lower value, lower amounts in terms of, you know, welcome bonuses or, or whatever. So as the US opens up, would you go back to where Europe was 15 years because that's where sort of the mindset of the consumer is in the US? Or is uh, are they keeping track? Uh, you know, are they fully up to date with whatever wherever Europe is and you should just continue off where we are today and sort of, you know, it's effectively the same whether it's US or Europe. Not that obviously the consumer is different, but sort of your promotional strategy, if you will, your product strategy, et cetera, et cetera. What, what, what's yeah. your thoughts? I, th- I think the strategy is bore out of uh, is brought out of the conditions with which they're operating within in, in at the moment. There's, I think regulation is happening a lot faster. Yeah. Than any, anyone was expecting. You know, the the pandemic has probably driven that even faster than what mm-hmm. was already you know, a pretty fast paced rollout. The fact that yeah. we've probably got you know potentially four states um, that could come that could regulate within the next three or four months. Again, you know, they were looking at a a potential calendar of, of two to three states a year. So it's all happening pretty quick. And mm-hmm. that then brings about some inherent challenges for marketers, yeah. you know, whereby there's a lot of Me Too products. It's it's effectively a commodity. It doesn't give them a hell of a lot to work with. Mm. Um, prices, there's not a hell of a lot of difference between the prices. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there are some subtle product differences, but there's not there's not loads at this point. Uh, place has been interesting. You know, some of the media deals mm-hmm. um, that we're seeing, some of the partnerships that are, that are happening, mm-hmm. certainly from a you know sports team point of view, but also the leagues, and the various media companies. I mean, some of the contracts that have been signed are eye-watering. Certainly, look at them. Look at them from a from a UK lens. But then, first mover advantage yeah. is crit- is critically important over there, and they all recognise yeah. that. And and the user journey is all. Again, I think this is some, something that we we sometimes forget looking at it from a UK point of view. There is no mobile web proposition. You know, there's no mobile web. It's all it's all app. Yeah. And if I look at the UK makeup and look at it through the lens of um, of query data and the user, you know, mobile web is. It was up there with, you know, perhaps not, perhaps not at app level, but it's certainly significant, and that's just not oh, yeah. part of the mix in the US. It's all driving to app, and you know, Android's a, a frustration as part of that. Why is that? Is that just that consumption habit? Consumption, consumption habits, or the the mobile web product is not allowed, or not there, or depends by state by state, or? Yeah, it's regulation. It's regulation. There's there's a need for you know a piece of technology called geo comply, yeah, um, which has to be you know has to be set locally. You know, the app allows for that it doesn't work really from a mobile web point of view in that something has to be has to be downloaded to say that yes you are executing your bets within the state you know that's a huge part of the u.s yeah. rollout and again yeah. that's often where you know us europeans you know can look at the u.s as one you know collective homogenous country whereas in reality it's 
you know, 50 states and each one's got a slightly different take on on how it wants to regulate. And again, in itself, that poses a whole bunch of challenges and therefore opportunities for the marketing folk over there. But yeah. the interactions we've had, yeah, there are some of the smartest people we've certainly worked with um, in the US tackling these challenges. So I think they'll be in a good place. And I'm looking forward to seeing how the industry evolves over the next two to three years. I think there'll yeah. be some pretty big, pretty big changes. You know, they've yeah. kind of gone through the me too Let's just get a product out there. And I think yeah. there'll be some pretty interesting and fun changes that yeah. we'll get to enjoy. Yeah, it'll be fun. Um, a few words on Germany. What, what, the, what What's happening? I mean, obviously, Interstate Treaty is coming. Uh, there's a lot of things. Uh, so is Google... Um, uh, we're yeah. set to go. Yeah, we're, we're, we're set to go uh, July 1st. I think July, July 1st. 1st. Yeah, so we're all, we're all set to go from July 1st. So we've... You know, we've we've already started to look at our policies and we've already started to look at the processes. So the Play Store is already open. Yeah. Um, so we should be in a good place come come July first. Fantastic. Very good. Any new markets, emerging markets you want to sort of uh, point out or highlight something that's that's big on your agenda? I mean, no. I mean, the US and, and Germany are probably taking up yeah much of much of my time. We're look, we're, we're we've got the processes necessary now to launch in any any regulating market yeah um, we're, we're keeping a pretty close tabs on sub-saharan africa and south america and just trying to make sure that you know as google we're comfortable with the regulation we also look at pr effects um, and a few other factors that that we have to be that we have to green light before we go into any country it's not necessarily just set on um on regulation but by and large should a should a country regulate and therefore take control for the rules and regs of the gambling industry we're generally pretty comfortable. It's a bigger piece for sure. And, and a lot of complexity to navigate, I'm sure. <laughs> Great. Um, Chris, this has been fantastic. So we've, we've come to the end of, uh, of, of all the, the topics I had listed down at least. Uh, are there any, are there any other topics you, you want to touch on or else uh, I have a very fascinating lightning round to get to know you a little bit better here at the end and lighten, uh, move away from heavy regulations. Are there, is there anything else uh, you want to throw in the mix? Uh, something that's, important for you or Google at the minute, something operators, affiliates or, or content creators should should definitely be aware of? Uh, look, I think we've covered I think we've covered quite a lot. Um, so I, I wouldn't say there's perhaps anything over and above uh, over and above what we've covered. So no, let's uh, let's get stuck into this lightning round. Very, very good. And just to summarize some very big topics, right? I mean, uh, thir- uh, you know, the loss of third party cookies, uh, direction of travel away from or, or, or moving to keyword less research uh, or search, um, a lot of stuff happening on YouTube and, uh, and, and the Play Store opening. It's a very, very interesting, interesting time for sure. Great. Uh, so, Chris, this is how it works. Uh, very, very short. Uh, I give you one word. You give you give me your immediate uh, uh, immediate thoughts, and uh, and you have uh, like five seconds uh, per 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 question. Okay, so so very very short. Are you ready? Let's do it. That's good. Man United. Disappointing. <laughs> Casino welcome bonuses. Too many. <laughs> Elon Musk. Visionary. NFTs. <laughs> Garbage. <laughs> and last but not least, your personal mobile, is it an iPhone or an Android? I have never owned, I've never owned an iPhone. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, never. Even pre-Google, never owned an iPhone. 
<laughs> Fantastic. Good. With, with that said, uh, Chris, thank you so much for for taking the time. I think it's been sort of uh, the longest podcast in history, one hour and and yeah, one and a half hour almost. So so really really appreciate your time. It's fascinating to hear all the stuff happening inside uh, Google, and I'm sure uh, much more to come. Uh, and soon you'll have your 10 year anniversary. Yeah, I, I don't. Think, I don't. Th I think you get a certificate. I don't think there's a gold watch on offer. Uh, no gold I'd watch. Take, I'd, I'd take more stock. You know, just if if they were to throw me a few more stock units, I'd be I'd be more than happy. But yeah, no 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 gold watch. I think just a just a certificate. <laughs> and, and, oh, oh, sorry. I think I think you get massage points. But given given we can't have a massage right now. Um, <laughs> It'll have to be later. You'll have to save it up on your on your your loyalty card. I guess. I'll I'll store them. Perfect. Chris, it's been a pleasure. Have a fantastic day and uh, speak to you soon. Thanks, Michael. Appreciate the time. Bye.